Grace and peace to you from our God and Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God for our special meditation this morning is our second lesson, Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 8, as printed in your bulletin and already read. Dear fellow children of God, it is one of the common, even stereotypical things that people say to other people when they are complaining about or just disappointed by their life situations. Count your blessings. It's not bad advice, but I wonder both how many advisees actually take and do it and how many of the advisors have actually done it themselves. People like us, living in the place and the time that we do, enjoy so many blessings of health, wealth, government, comfort, property, and opportunities that it would actually take a long while to count those blessings, which would be a good thing. The most helpful thing, of course, is to remember that having a blessing means that there is a blesser, that every good gift we enjoy really and truly comes from God. Now, some form of the word bless occurs three times in just the first verse of our text, verse 3. The first use is a word of praise for God. We are turning the blessing around to bless the blesser. Not that we are giving him anything or that there is anything that he might need from us, but that we are speaking good upon him, offering our worship and praise. The other two uses are the ones that we are most familiar with, God blessing us, and they give the reasons for the praise that we are giving to him, which the following verses elaborate on. And that elaboration is an encouragement to consider all of those blessings deeply and to take them to heart and into our lives. The language and imagery is, is potent and should stick with us in times that are both good and, and bad. The apostle here is not telling us to count our blessings. He's teaching us to do something much more powerful than that to picture our blessings. The first image that the Holy Spirit puts into our minds here is the heavenly places. Now, granted, we do not know what heaven looks like, but our imaginations can still work with this because we know it is real and we know what God has told us about it. The heavenly places are where the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, makes his home, and all of the multitudes of angels attend him there. The book of Revelation gives us a number of pictures of his throne room, as do some Old Testament books, and though we aren't always sure which details to take literally, since they are visions, we can be certain that heaven is a place of perfect holiness and great joy, great glory, and filled with light and, and wonder. And it is there, we are told, that we have been blessed 
with every spiritual blessing. We are naturally inclined only to consider and count the blessings that belong to our earthly existence, things that we can do and touch and feel, spend and use and enjoy. But Paul wants us to latch on to the truth that the most important blessings we have are ones that were decided on and granted not from or in a place like this of of weakness, impermanence, or corruption, but from and in the very presence of the Almighty and His angels. And God has already done it. And there is nothing more certain than what the Creator has decreed from His eternal throne. And note also that these are spiritual blessings. No Christian can say, well, I'm poor, my health is lousy, and my life is impossible, so it can't be true that God has blessed me. The blessings that Paul is pointing us to here are things of eternal significance, having to do with our souls and with our our status and our ultimate destiny, the things which matter. Because we were made for eternity, not for the sin-shortened lives that we endure in this world and time. Of course, this does not mean that God doesn't already bless us physically and temporally. He obviously has and does, not only through normal means of, of, of sun and rain and food and drink and clothes and home, which we purchase with the fruits of our own, our, our own and others' labors, But he also blesses us when he wills and sees the need with miraculous means, as we saw today in the feeding of the 5,000 and in God's care for Elijah in the wilderness. Physical blessings are just not Paul's topic here at the beginning of Ephesians. There are three more things to quickly note from his description of how we have been blessed. First, what may seem obvious to us, but is very important to remember, God is the one giving all these good things. It is not nature or fate or the universe, nor can his blessings be credited to any other God but the one who reveals himself in the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second, all of these spiritual blessings, Paul reminds us, are given to us in Christ. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. And third, God is both generous and thorough. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He has held nothing back. He has offered no deal where He gives us some and we earn the rest. He has not decided that we're just not good enough for His best and therefore only given us some of what is in His storehouse of grace. No. Every spiritual blessing, whatever there is that we need, whatever there is that He has to give, that is what God has blessed us with. Picture that. And then picture that He did this when He chose us. This is the doctrine of election, but we don't have to use fancy theological terms to understand it. 
What this means is that there is nothing accidental or coincidental about your status as one of God's people or as a recipient of his blessings. Imagine yourself standing in a huge crowd of people, bigger than any you've ever been a part of, bigger than any you've ever seen. Everyone is pushed up next to everyone else. It's uncomfortable. You're all dirty and tired and hungry and breathing each other's air. Your clothes are tattered and filthy. And even if you were to see a friend or family member and call out to them, they'd never be able to find you. And then an announcement is made that some out of that multitude are going to be called out and selected for something infinitely better, an entirely different existence in the presence of the holy and almighty God. And then, though you are just one among millions in that crowd, your name is called individually, personally, You, you are chosen and you are lifted up out of the crowd and made completely new. And this is true. This is what God has done with you. And this choosing was done before the foundation of the world, which makes it even more mind-blowing a blessing. And that's another picture for you. Put time on rewind and go all the way back through history to the seven days of creation and then go back even further than that. The world is formless and void. Nothing has yet been spoken into existence and there God is taking counsel with himself as the Trinity And in his great love and wisdom, he looks forward through all of time and says, says of you, individually, personally, you, says, that one is mine forever. Wow. Just wow. And before we let our reason slip in and suggest, well, gee, you know, he, he must have foreseen something about me that made me special, that, that I'd be a good person, or at least that I would believe. And Paul adds again, in Christ. That reminds us that no supposed worthiness on our part gains us anything or merits us anything before God. Instead, it is only an entirely By grace that we are given what we are given. And that through the gift of God's one and only Son who gave himself on the cross for our sins. If it were not in Christ, we sinners could and would not be chosen at all. This point is further made by what Paul tells us God's purpose in choosing us was so that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. You see, it is not because we would be holy and blameless 
But He chose us because we would not be perfect in the Father's sight because of our sin. So therefore, He had to act to make us righteous. He had to do it. And He does all of this in love. Undeserved, but real and powerful love. The Apostle describes what God decided and did in eternity with another term. He predestined us and then gives us another amazing image. Picture yourself as a a seven-year-old orphan. You never knew your parents. And though you theoretically live in an orphanage, it's more like a warehouse for the unwanted. You spend most of your time out on the streets, sometimes getting in trouble with other orphans, at other times wandering lonely all by yourself, stealing food and other things that you need or just like, being trusted by no one and welcomed by even fewer. You know that already in your short life you have done lots of wrong things, and so you are sure that you are worthy of no one's love or favor. You see no future except an unhappy end somewhere, someday, in a dark alley. And yet, one day, someone comes looking for you and finds you in the corner you were hiding in. He calls you by name and takes your hand. He even embraces you and lifts you up. He looks you in the eye and smiles and says, I have adopted you. You are now my own dear child. I have mansions and feasts and gifts galore, and they are now all yours because you are part of my family forever. This is what God has done for us and destined for us before the world began. He made you his own dear child. And this adoption as sons with all of its privileges and status, was also through Jesus Christ. You're probably noticing the pattern here. Again, we are reminded that this is all about grace, and Christ is at the center of everything as the embodiment of that grace. This reminder also helps us get a better grip on the purpose and proper use of the doctrines of election and and predestination. Human reason wonders about what the Holy Spirit hasn't told us and, and tries to argue that if God chose and predestined us for eternal life, then there must be something special about us, or then God must also have chosen and predestined everyone else for the other destiny. And we know that that is not possibly true, since God has made very clear that He wants all people to be saved. And anyone's damnation is his or her own fault. But more importantly, this is only and exclusively an election of grace. Which means that there is no judgment attached to it, only comfort and confidence. 
And that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to get from these truths and teachings. The peace and certainty of knowing that no matter what, we belong to God forever. And that wasn't the result of our weak works or unreliable choices. It was the result of His power and decision. In other words, as Paul tells us, in accordance with the good purpose of His will. This was and is what God wants, and for the praise of His glorious grace. Grace, which He has graciously given in the one He loves. Once again, it's all about Jesus, which leads us to another picture of blessing. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Now, to redeem is to pay a price to gain something, particularly to set someone free. So imagine yourself toiling without hope in the worst kind of slavery, whether you're picturing salt mines or cotton fields or whatever. Every day is an endless slog of back-breaking labor broken up only by abuse from your overseers. You have no choice but to go where you are led and to do what you are compelled to do. And it's made worse by knowing that slavery is not the lot in life that you were supposed to have, but you have no way of escaping it. Your chains are unbreakable and there's nowhere for you to go. But then one day, you see a stranger approach your master with money in hand. And then you see them pointing at you and, and talking excitedly. And then money changes hands, and moments later your master comes and removes your chains. The stranger comes along and hands you new clothes and sits you down immediately to clean you up and give you some rest, all while telling you, you are free now. I have paid the price for your freedom. You never have to be a slave again. Imagine the happiness you would feel and how you would rejoice to, to thank the stranger and get to know him and show him your undying appreciation for what he had done. And that is what Jesus did for us. He paid the price to set us all free from our slavery to sin. But He didn't pay it with money. He paid it with His own precious blood. That is another and more familiar picture, but very vivid. Christ's pain-racked body his back slashed with a scourge, his hands and feet pierced by nails, his scalp and forehead perforated by a crown of thorns. The lifeblood of the sinless Son of God and Son of Man was poured out for us on the cross. And that was the only sufficient price to satisfy the Almighty's righteous wrath against our unrighteousness and to deliver us from our bondage to sin, death, and Satan. Christ redeemed us with His blood. Which means 
that our sins are forgiven. And there's another picture here in the word forgiveness. The Greek word means in its root to to send away. And that is what he did. Christ, our sins were sent away from us and sent away from God like a dangerous animal driven off into the wild never to return and bother us again. They are gone. So what do we have? The God who is infinitely generous in blessing us is equally generous in teaching us about these blessings. He lavishes on us the riches of His grace in all wisdom and insight. So when you, when you are feeling left out, unappreciated or unvalued, you can remember the picture that, that reminds you of the truth that God has chosen you, individually, personally, you. And when you feel unworthy or that you just don't belong, you remember the picture that shows how God predestined you to be His own dear child. When you are abused, mistreated, victimized, or depressed, disappointed, weary, down. When you are struggling with your faults and your failings, remember the images that show both that you belong to Christ because He paid for you and that He has set you free from every enemy and oppression. Because the Holy Spirit has, through Paul, painted a masterpiece. And you are in that picture. And all of us are together in it. The focus of the painting is Christ. But when you look at Him, you see that His focus is on you. So you know who you are, and you see what God has given to you and done for you in Jesus your Savior, and done it not recently and not only just sometime maybe in the future, but He determined this for you from the very beginning of all things. This is His will, His work, His love. So every day and in every situation, don't just count. Picture your blessings and praise His glorious grace. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.